So we've been doing this for almost a year now. So when I approached you guys uh, last spring, what did you guys think about this whole podcasting thing? That we'd do two or three and then we'd call it a day. Absolutely. I didn't think we'd go a year. Yeah, I, w- I, was, I was skeptical of that. I kind of, I, mean, I think, I mean, I, I, I'm speaking for myself, not obviously for David, but maybe for Aaron as well. Um, I've never had many conversations with you, and mm-hmm. so this was a. I mean, I mean, I've gotten to know you far more in the last year. Mm-hmm. Even though we've we've done retreats together mm-hmm. and camps together, and I mean, I've seen you a lot. I feel like I've gotten to know you a hundred times better. Well, yeah, and we've we've talked about some fairly weighty issues. Yeah, and so, so. I mean, so I, mean, I thought there was potential, but mm-hmm. I thought I mean, I think finding some times where we can consistently meet has mm-hmm. been important. Even though some of us miss, I think it's better when all four of us are here. I think our conversation is better. With us united yeah. than um, any component, but because we each bring something to the table that's uh, different and interesting, and that combination I think is what makes us more <coughs> interesting to listen to than I mean, nobody would want to listen to just me. Well, so. you and I did a pretty good show about video games. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only subject we could have done that was even close to being marketable. That was a long show too. <laughs> we had fun. I laughed a lot. <laughs> so, David, because I I had hit you up first with this topic. What did you think? I mean, what, what was your real your first thoughts? Were you like, I don't know about this? Well, I I didn't really feel like I had anything that anybody wanted to listen to, and it has come to pass that there are several people that listen for someone's opinion or for for some measure of entertainment or. Uh, thought-provoking discussion. So I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it was just kind of outside the realm of my, my sphere at the time. You know, I didn't listen to many podcasts. I didn't really know what went on. It, I think it would be. It'd still be nice to have. We actually have a writer that didn't necessarily write our scripts, but mm-hmm. gave us some talking points. Like a producer. Like almost like a, it'd be nice to have like a producer, just because all four of us are busy enough that it'd be nice to have somebody who was off camera, so to speak or off tape, so to speak, that kind of just helped make the conversation flow. Because as it is, we, I mean, it's all very much just kind of what hits our head, we come, yeah. it comes out. And so, be, I mean, it, there were times I, I feel like it'd be nice, I mean, as I'm sometimes moderating, I mean, I just kind of throw questions out there and I know I hit, I blindside people, but it'd be nice to have some idea of what to talk about. Although I think sometimes the spontaneity of it makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I if, agree. You have time to, if you have time to think about a topic for like mm-hmm. a week, mm-hmm. It really, I mean, I think you're a you lot. You boil down your thoughts. You, yeah, you're not nearly as as interesting. I think a lot of times. Yeah, but I'm glad we've. I'm glad we're doing it. I think it's something that's been very enjoyable. So you guys really thought we'd just do like one or two shows, and that would. I think we'd do one or two. I thought we might go for two to three months max. Uh-huh. I mean, it's seasonally, it's just our lives are so busy that I thought it would be easy to get. Yeah. Like forget for a while and just not get back on it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best things to do is invest in stuff. I mean, yeah. once we invested in equipment, I think it made it so. Okay, we're gonna keep going because we've put a few hundred dollars into microphones. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I found I, I found surprising that we've we've gotten feedback from people. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, and I, I, it's been interesting to see who our audience is mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. diversity of our audience. So, some people I would never have, I've never thought would come to me saying, "Hey, I like listening to your podcast. They're interesting." Yeah, I I do think we need to take another road trip. I think I, those I, are fun. I think we was, haven't done them in a while. We have not done. We, yeah, I think we do need to take another. Another drive. Oh, and for the sake of our audience, we, when we first started this, we were trying out so, all sorts of things. And one of the things we tried out was a road trip where we took uh, mics on the go and uh, and just kind of talked about whatever whatever came up because because each one of us had been in instances where we have been on trips and and the conversations just flowed. And so we thought it'd be fun to kind of replicate that in the in the cast. And mm-hmm. did we ever put the, that one? Never get on. No, that one, that one never got up. I. 
I think we had some production issues, didn't we? Or there were a couple of production issues where I, w- I was able to iron them out, but the the overall sound quality was pretty horrible compared to what we have now. I think I think we need to figure. I think we need to try to figure out a way to make that work because I think I think it's a great concept. It would be kind of fun. I don't think our sound quality has to be as good. I mean, we're on the road. I mean, <laughs> road noise is going to be a good part of that. Yeah, but yeah. And we were using the headsets, and I mean, yeah, those that, didn't really turn out so well. Yeah. But they were more they were more comfortable, but but anyway, so I see from our listeners you have from our listeners i uh, we have a listener that i a coworker of mine, and uh, this is addressed to Jeff and ZB buddies. Thank you for giving up your time to share your talents and producing the podcast. That's very generous of you to do kind hearted also. I'm sure many people appreciate all of your hard work. I do thanks again, Rosie. Have a fabulous year. continue doing a great job. And she got us each a copy of the book, um, Have a Little Faith, by Mitch Album. Hmm. Um, wow. And so Thank it's you, the author of Tuesdays with Maury. And so uh, each of us got a copy of that book. And so it might be something we read and maybe talk about in a future podcast. Yeah. So, this is cool. Thank that, you. That is Thanks, very Rosie. humbling, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's very, uh, it, it is, it is, that, that she would think enough of us to, <coughs> to put that together for us. So thank you, Rosie, for the thank you note. It's nice that we have some very thoughtful listeners out there. Um, to start things off, um, I'm going to provide a little bit of a disclaimer. And uh, in this disclaimer, uh, we're going to talk about some things that are, um, as you know, we oftentimes talk about things that are somewhat thought-provoking, and we use the term um, Captain Contrarian, which is uh, the same type of thing as uh, the devil's advocate. We don't like glorifying the devil, so we call it Captain Contrarian. And a lot of times that's just for the purpose of stimulating discussion and to be able um, to better articulate our own beliefs by um, at times challenging them. And so tonight is going to be one where we particularly are doing some of that challenging and we're going to talk about some things that um, that might be, um, we're not trying to be offensive or uh, trying to do anything that might make people have their faith shaken, but yet there's going to be some topics that we bring up that might challenge some of your thinking and might um, we don't want to uh, weaken anybody's faith, but we want you to kind of go into this knowing that we're going we're gonna to share some ideas and some thoughts um, that others might share if you're ever in a discussion about um, our Christian faith. And we would rather talk about them in a sheltered setting than have somebody come and um, abruptly share with them in a, in a way that's going to try to lessen your faith. And so we think this is a more... Uh, a better way to talk about these things and to address them. Yeah, I, I would say that our plan uh, for this is that by the end that we will have brought all these issues to a resolution. Uh, it is probably not, um, it's probably not a discussion for younger ears. Uh, it's probably a more mature discussion, but... Um, and if you do listen to it with your family, be it, make it something that you really talk about as a family absolutely. afterwards, um, because we don't want to shake anyone's faith, but yet these are all things that you could get um, addressed with at other points, points in time. And so at this point, uh, we have a scripture to share that will just kind of get us started. This is from the book of 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. It came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And I'm going to read one also from John chapter 3, uh, three thirteen. I tell you, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Okay, so... Speaking of Jesus. John, what do you see is wrong with those two scriptures? Well, uh, at first listen, they seem to contradict each other. 
Okay. Which isn't unlike the episode where we talked about that you should be all things to everybody, but at the same time you should separate yourself from the world. Anyway. That's true. true. And so our our conversation tonight is going to be focused on the perfectness, if you will, will, of the scriptures. Uh, One of the things that uh, there's a debate worldwide, I suppose, and within our church to a certain degree about whether or not the scriptures are literal and completely infallible or whether or not there is a certain degree of um, filtering or judgment that should be brought in. And so I know that uh, this topic was initially thought of to be something we discussed in a podcast uh, coming out of a Sunday school class, I believe it was, a few weeks ago at one of our congregations. Uh, David, you talk about what happened at that Sunday school class? It was like Parliament. <laughs> we were um, we were discussing uh, the Sunday school class about Old Testament stories and kind of our misconceptions that, you know, stories we hadn't heard maybe since we were children or really considered in depth. And so some of the things that we may think are part of that story but don't necessarily apply. And we got on the topic of the flood and Noah's Ark and and, and that all that pertains to that story. And um, a comment was raised that... Um, Maybe it could be that the flood did not actually cover every square inch of land on the earth, and that seemed to quite arise a bit of consternation among some people in the room that that, that more, scripture would not be taken literally. To be more clear, it was basically a, a localized flood proposition versus a global flood. A massive localized flood, but yes. Right. That, that was what was put forth, and it certainly was not what was being taught. Right. Just a to uh, clarify, uh, and it, but it raised a great deal of discussion, that's for sure. And so the question is, is when you read when you read the Old Testament, you read Genesis, uh, where it talks about the flood, um, it uses the words, the entire earth, uh, the face of the land. You I'll have, say it's in, it's in Genesis chapter 8, verse 41, and the inspired version, it says, And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the face of the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heavens were covered, Fifteen cubits and upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. How did they measure that? Well, on a ship that size, I would assume they had a maybe an anchor. <laughs> they could measure the depth of the water. I'm not sure. I had I had read something uh, recently about the measurement of cubits, and uh, I what made me look this up is recently in the news there was a uh, there's something going on where they have now found the ark mm-hmm. uh, out on. Uh, um, Ararat. Uh, yeah, Ararat. And they were talking about how, according to what they've heard from the Chinese, is that it's way too big to be the ark. And so they said that the word cubits, it was a measure of a man's hand, like elbow to, uh, elbow elbow to, to index forearm. forearm. And they said that it wasn't actually a man's um, measurement. It was uh, a, a race of giants. It starts with an N. You guys know what I'm talking about. I've heard no. of them, but I don't. Uh, they're like mentioned twice in the Bible, and anyway, it's the, it's the, these these it's it's where they talk about uh, where I wish I could find it where they talk about men being locusts unto them or something like that. That that was later. That was, was that, I, that was Joshua, not Joshua, but the other ones who returned with Joshua after looking at the Promised Land. Or maybe that I might be getting it all mixed up, but anyway, and so it was saying that the the, the actual <clears throat> cubit measurement is supposed to be much bigger because that's how they're measured. You know, at first observation, you know the there are places where it's easier to accept um, that all the earth 
meant all the known earth. Uh, we, because you know, we've all been raised with the notion that uh, the the waters covered the whole earth, the whole world. We we want to believe that. That's the way we've been raised. But uh, other places, we're more content to say, when this when the disciples went into the, all the earth, they went to all the known earth because you know we believe in the Book of Mormon and they certainly didn't go there. So therefore. We would say, well, they went to all the known earth, and we're quite willing to make that limitation, but we're less willing to make this one. I think the clarity that it offers when it says, like everything that's under heaven. I mean, there's sure. I mean, it, it, they go. Genesis goes to great lengths to try to make it as big as possible. It does make it very large, and I, I would offer that um, a mountain to one person is a hill to another. You know, what we might call. Monkey Mountain here in Missouri is nothing like the mountains in Colorado. <laughs> for our friend, for, for our friend in Florida, I mean, a mountain is 300 feet above sea level. It's huge, a huge mountain. Yeah, <laughs> they're called Nephilim. Nephilim. Okay. Yeah, N E P H I L I M. Now, I will grant that you know they're making a reference to Ararat, you know, in this in this record. So that's probably a reference for a mountain. So that's still very high. It's not Monkey and, Mountain. But the mountain ranges can have changed and reshaped certainly since the time of, of Noah to be covered. Right, yeah. This, but this discussion hits pretty close to home for all Book of Mormon believers because one of the – I want to bring up a, a criticism that if you do any kind of research on what evangelicals or other Christians are saying about the Book of Mormon, this is something that comes up quite often. They'll go to the book of Luke in chapter 23 and read to you from verse 45 about the time of the crucifixion of Christ where it says, and it, and it was about the sixth hour when he was on the cross, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And then, and then when you flip into the Book of Mormon, uh, in, in 3 Nephi chapter 4, at the same time when it's talking about the, the time of the crucifixion of Christ and what is going on in the, in the Americas, um, it says in uh, 3 Nephi chapter 4, about verse 41, And it came to pass that this darkness did last for the space of three days, and there was no light seen, and there was great mourning and howling and weeping among all the people. So... Christians are finding a problem here because the Bible, the book of Luke to be taken literally, says that for the the whole earth was covered in darkness for three hours. The Book of Mormon says it was for, for three days. And so clearly here we have a problem. The Book of Mormon then becomes a fictitious book because it doesn't match to what the Bible literally says. But what, what we find is that Book of Mormon scholars have gone back to such references in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus uh, in chapter 10 where it talks about the plagues that were on Egypt and it says this about the plague of locusts in verse 14 and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt and very grievous were they for uh, before them there was no such locusts as they neither after them shall be such for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened and it goes on and so what we're saying here is that we, we know that the plague of the locusts did not cover the whole earth. And so it goes back to what Aaron was saying about this interpretation of, is it the known whole earth or is it literally to be taken the whole earth? And is, is the emphasis that Genesis gives it of under the heavens, is that enough? Is that our clue that, that this particular place about the flood is to be taken literally? Or again, are, are we picking and choosing where we want to be literal and where we want to be interpretive? And, and I find that to be very shaky ground of... I get to decide when I want to take the Bible literally, and then somebody else gets to decide when it's to be interpreted. But is it any more shaky than when you start taking the whole thing as not being literal? No, I, I find that to be very shaky ground to to to, to believe in, in more of an interpretive theology. I don't I don't find a whole lot of strength there. But yet, 
what I'm looking for is a foundation of how do I begin to understand when the Bible is talking to me literally, and how do I understand when the Bible is giving me a, a vision or a picture of, of either uh, drawing a mental image of what I should be seeing in, in, as things pertain spiritually, or is it just the perception of the author as the world as they knew it? You know, I find it a little ironic that as restorationists, we are right on the same bandwagon with the Bible should be taken literally when we are the first ones to say, but the King James is not. The King James has some errors, and Joseph Smith went through by inspiration from God and corrected those. And he corrected and some of them. He never claimed he to fix the some, whole thing. Exactly. He, he never. He didn't finish, and so yet we would we would we would grant that he didn't finish, and yet the inspired version is quote unquote invalid. I mean, we don't can't question that. It is it is inerrant from our perspective. We don't we don't want to go that that route, but we're willing to admit that there were errors. Well, and I know there's, um, I think for a lot of restorationists, at least, there'd be a lot uh, more people that would say that the Book of Mormon has the greater capacity to be inerrant than the, the Bible. I mean, if I were going to say which one has less flaws, I would say the Book of Mormon. Um, does that mean everything in the Book of Mormon, do I take it completely literally? Uh, I don't know, probably so, probably so, but there are definitely some things in there that, um, that seem intriguing. Well... And consider this. I mean, the, the, our name for Jesus passed through from e, from Hebrew through Greek to English. And so we call him Jesus, but yet if you were to take his name directly from Hebrew to English, we would have called him Joseph. Or Joshua, excuse me, Joshua. And yet, so if taking his name from the Book of Mormon, would, why wouldn't he have been called Joshua? Because that, I mean, straight translation, literal translation, wouldn't that have been Joshua? Or, or should we just say, well, um, we recognized him as Jesus, so in the translation he was called Jesus, even though that wasn't perhaps the most accurate translation of his name. Well, that, the, the, the discussion of translations, for me, if I mean, any time a scripture is translated from an original language, I mean, English is evolving. Mm -hmm. All languages are evolving. And so are we to a point where if Joseph Smith were to come today and translate the plates, would... Do all the words be exactly the same? <laughs> because our, I mean, our, our, I mean, our vocabulary has changed. I mean, we have things that have changed meanings. We have different things that have happened. Do we? Are we completely confident that everything? I mean, not not to say that I have anywhere close to the authority or desire or anything else to change the Book of Mormon right now to make it. I'm not going to make a an, an NIV version of the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I, I was going to say I have that. No, I have some no, people I mean, really I, frown upon that. Yeah, I, I have no hopes or desires or anything else to do that but yet I mean another I mean who knows what's ha gonna happen in the world I think most most saints at least are pretty confident that we're in the last of the last days and things won't be around for 100 years but in 300 years if I mean if there's still people around and the and Jesus hasn't come hasn't returned which no man knoweth and so that could be possible in 300 years do you think English will have evolved enough so that um, the Book of Mormon will then need to have like a, a fresh coat of paint, so to speak. Well, even today, there are a number of people who struggle with Old English in the in the Bible, as and as well as you know, Book of Mormon came through basically as Old English. Uh, and I would argue, never mind. I think I, I, there's probably good reasons for that. The re but there's already enough people who struggle no, with Old English. Old. So I mean, why? What? There may be good reason for putting, you know it into the modern language. I think those of us that are, that are involved in, 
in Christianity and have our faith rooted in Christ realize that these contradictions, these these issues that we have in the Bible are not central salvational issues. You know, so it, it doesn't it doesn't create for us a problem with our faith or, or with our day to day walk with Christ, but it's just it's things that we we think about, maybe we consider, and there's there's clearly no easy answer for how to interpret these stories, whether they be literal or whether they be interpretive. Did did Jonah really live for three days in the belly of a fish? You know, if if there was an answer for this, I think that Christians as, as a whole would have latched onto that, and these questions would not maybe continue to rise as they do. But but one thing that concerns me is for the people that refuse to even have this conversation, um, when when you're out in the world and in the world. They, they look at these stories from reason and from logic and from their background, and they find them hard to to swallow, so to speak, to begin with. And, and for us to refuse to have this conversation with them doesn't give a lot of credence to the, the faith which we belong to. They, they find that it, it must exist outside of reason and logic because you're not willing to even consider the fact that maybe these stories <coughs> could not and would not have happened. And, and maybe I'm not even so concerned about whether or not those people find their way into the truth of the gospel, what I'm concerned about for me personally is is our children. And when our children see or, or we fail to give our, our children reasonable and logical answers for the questions that they are posed at school with their friends, are they gonna are they gonna retain this faith that seems outside of the scope of the world that they live in? And so I think that our faith has to be relevant. We have to have these discussions. We have to defend our faith and consider these things. I'm not saying that we cannot accept miraculous events, but we have to at least engage in a conversation or else I think we're gonna lose and we are losing young people and others that just are not interested in people that are closed-minded. I think the basis for timidity in discussing literalism or considering that maybe not everything is literal is where do you draw the line? Where do you stop? And how can you be confident then that the precepts put forward as saving precepts are accurate if other parts of the Bible are inaccurate? And that's the reason that people, I think, become very concerned about it. Uh, because it seems like a very slippery slope. Well, one of the difficulties is I think all of us believe that there is absolute truth. There is, there is, there are things that are um, God dictated. <clears throat> That's this is truth, no matter what we think, what we feel, anything else. It's just truth with a capital T. Um, and so, for a people that believe in truth with a capital T, it's difficult to um, throw in the the. The desire to interpret anything because we want to ha- we want everything to be truth or not truth, and it's difficult as humans because we are not we're not perfect and we don't ha- we don't come from things from a perfect perspective, able to to know all that cold. We ha- we have to use unfortunately some some judgment, uh, and that's where the difficulty comes in is how how do we exercise that that judgment? Because I don't think any of us would argue that what color we paint or well. Maybe some of us would, but what color we paint our church, there's a truth way and a non-truth way. And if you do it the non-truth way, then that's evil. I mean, I know that that's the topic that some congregations or some churches have debated that. But yet, um, there has to be judgment put in in life. Is not, ev- not everything has an absolute yes and absolute no. Which route I take home to this evening, for instance, is not something that... There's not an absolute yes or no. There might be a faster or a slower, but... Right. And I think this becomes a point of consternation for those that believe that the Bible is the Word of God come down from heaven and placed on the paper with ink uh, with no human interaction. Yet, you know, I, I think that the Bible and the Scriptures are more appropriately viewed as man's record of his interaction with God. And, and we, we find the stylistic writings of different authors. We find 
the interpretations of man as they have seen God because of the walk that they've been through. And, and we find imperfect men recording for us, uh, recording for us their, their interactions in, in the gospel. Well, yeah, even with the four gospels, I mean, something that I've heard from uh, my friends that are, I guess, agnostic or atheist, they've said, well, why do you even need four gospels? And and my response has always been that they were for there are four different records for four different people. Uh, when Matthew starts, it gives a genealogy of Jesus, uh, of, of how it came. So I I think that that was for the Jews. Um, Luke, I think when he writes when he starts his epistle or not epistle when he starts his gospel, he he's actually addressing it to somebody. Um, so it, it, I think that was for the Romans. I, I can't remember how it goes but I, I'm pretty sure that John was for the non-believers because of um, how uh, how fundamental it was like with John 3.16 you know the, introducing this is who Jesus is and this is why he came and I don't want to say that um, Matt, Mark was for the Gentiles but I'm not positive on that I, I don't know uh, you bring up an interesting thing when you talk about the Gospels uh, the question of whether or not uh, Jesus drank the the gall and vinegar when it was given to him when he was on the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some of the gospels, it says he drank, and some of the gospels says he refused it. And there's a, I mean, there's, a, I mean, a contradiction within the gospels about whether or not that took place. And so, can can it be inerrant? I mean, on some level, I mean, somebody else could explain that to me better. I mean, but from my from my weak mind, it seems like well, one of it has to be a right or a wrong in one of those. Right. The whole crucifixion story is, is is filled with those. I mean, if you look at in each book, who who first went to the sepulcher to find the body of Christ, which to me is a key ingredient into the most important story told in the Bible, the crucifixion of Christ and the, the resurrection of Christ, and it's one that's different in all four Gospels. And so I think that speaks to the... The, uh, the the involvement of man yet the thing that I the term I refute that I have not used in my my conversation which I want to use is that I do believe the Bible the word is inspired I think I think the word inspired means a lot because it's not just the musings and writings of men but it, it has been inspired of God but not outside of the not outside of the well unlike the uh, if God did not use his finger to spe- to spell it all out right he he, yeah. he inspired people. And so, I, I mean, I look at section 76 where it talks about the glories. Uh, the glories in that scripture and everything that's written was um, the interpretation of a dream or a vision that they had. The Lord did not say, write these words that I give you. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gave them a vision, he gave them a dream, and they used that to write what they, what they saw. And so to me, that's an that's a important distinction versus a direct revelation where the Lord speaks you listen, you write it down. I mean, in the Book of Mormon and Third Nephi, when their voice out of heaven is saying something, when the voice out of heaven says it, you write it down, you can record it. Even though I doubt they had somebody standing there with a piece of paper ready or a piece of foil or gold to write on. I mean, so that even that was filtered through memories. Well, and, and even literally the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So, right. you know, First Corinthians uh, says this: it says, "And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets." And we would take that to mean that when God inspires a prophet and they write it down, it's going to come through, it's going to come through their filter, so to speak. They're, they're going to use their own words to describe it. Um, God's going to certainly 
check that a little bit and say, wait, no, no, no that's not what I meant. They're, they're certainly understanding him pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. But their choice of words has can have a lot to do with how we understand something. And especially now that words have slightly changed meanings. I mean, when it says that uh, God loved John, or Jesus loved God, excuse me, Jesus loved John, we, in our society today, we would could take that to mean something different, something unholy, and yet when it was written, that's not what it meant. And so we, we don't take it to mean that way. Or when Jonathan loved G- David, I mean, those references don't really mean what we would take them to mean today. They weren't homosexual relations. They were affectionate, friendly relations, but yet we see them differently today. Well, just the, I mean, just the fact that there are, what, four words for love right. in, in, in Greek. Uh, and so uh, we're, I mean, we've we got say, one. We, yeah, we have one. Well, love mm-hmm. is it. I mean, and so there's always those situations when, I mean, wine. I mean, there's questions about, well, okay, there's new wine, there's old wine. Mm-hmm. One's fermented, one's not. There wasn't, there's no grape juice mentioned in the Bible, but yet we knew they were drinking what we would call grape juice. But yet that would, for, for them was wine. That was yeah. that, that global term. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that as restorationists should be a good indicator is we, we look to Joseph Smith's uh, account of his vision in the grove. And there's one authorized account, right? But if you go back and look, he shared that account several times, and he didn't share it the same time each time, each way. He didn't share it the same way each time. Yeah. And so we should look at that and say, you know, this his memory of that event changed over time. And so we can see that depending on when you wrote your account, there might be some level of mistiness that occurs as you're recounting that. Well, I think we we look at our own lives. I mean, there's nothing magical about nothing magical in the way that we share our testimony, you know, in the way that we have interacted with Christ. So why do we expect that of people that have gone before us? Mm-hmm. Magical in a sense. I mean, there's certainly something miraculous about the changing of a sinful heart unto Christ. I'm not talking about that, but just the day to day walk in that God God finds ways to interact with us and teach us, and the way we express that to others is just it is who we are, and it it it, it spills over in our our personalities, and so. You know, just because people live so much longer ago and we only have their records written down doesn't mean that they were any less human than, than what we are. They, they're no less human than us. And I, but I also don't think we should completely discount God's interaction in the, in the lives of those prophets. No, not trying to do I that. I mean, when they sat down to write something down, I don't doubt that God sat back down with them and said, now, wait, 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 don't you remember this? And kind of brought things back to their memory, tried to clear things up. He... This is a valuable book to God as much as it is to us. Agreed, and, uh, and I'm glad you I clarified that. I believe that He was That's active in, in His creation of it. I do too. I'm not. I wasn't trying to un- I, take away the yeah. the inspiration of the, the scriptures. Well, well, I well I am willing to concede that some things maybe are are less literal than we often take them. Um, I don't believe that the words in the Bible are as casual as I typically speak. Agreed. I, I misspeak frequently, and. Uh, so I, I don't think we should we should take it that casually. Did my comment seem to go that way? I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't mean for it to. I was just clarifying. I didn't, I didn't take it like that. I, I, I have an, the utmost reference for the scriptures. I mean, <laughs> there, there are books like any other, like none other that I've ever read. Not like it. Well, there's another slip. Can we take that out, John? <laughs> <laughs> but they are. They're, they're, they're unique. They, they speak to my life, and, and I find that um, – they're, they're the guide, you know, I mean, that's why I am where I am. And so that's, but, that's what's so dangerous. It's such a precarious perch. Yeah. Because we know that there are things that appear to us to be inconsistent. 
that regardless of whether or not if we had better understanding they might not be but to our eyes when um, when one scripture says X happened and the other scripture says X plus one happened that are clearly different um, it, we, there, there has to come a point where there's some faith but yet how do we but yet we still use the scriptures to determine truth I mean, it's it, there's such a, it's such a it's such a precarious thing we're on. I think the most precarious position is when we choose to to build our fortifications upon these non-central non-central issues and determine that we're going to take a stance here and debate people on the the literalism of the flood or the literalism of the story of Jonah or Job, as opposed to allowing that conversation of the Bible to then lead us into talking about more central issues with people and sharing with them and, and allowing a, 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 an amount of reason um, in our conversation. Does that makes sense. You know yeah, what I mean? It's like, I, I think the very idea that um, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, I think that's, I think it's the same way with the scriptures. I, a, a, a theme or an idea in the scriptures that appears 10 times or 20 times. I think there's something very different about that than one obscure reference. That's true. Not to say that that one obscure reference might not be truth as well, but yet if the Lord thought enough of it to inspire several authors to say the same thing, maybe in, I mean, just to clarify something, to me that, that holds a lot more weight. A lot more weight. And that's yeah. something that I think the Lord values more. Because I think a lot of it, when I think about the scriptures and I think about the Lord, I think a lot of times it's, I mean, mankind is a lot of times trying to explain a mountain, but they're trying to explain it through, through an ant's eyes. And they're trying to say, well, when I see a mountain, I see a cliff. When I see a mountain, I see a rocky trail. When I see a mountain, I see a tree. And our perspective of the eternal is so limited in respect to the totality of God and his creation. And so when we're trying to do that, I think it's just, I mean, it's that same thing of that. But we're having, we have tunnel vision. I mean, it's a, the old story about um, some ants were trying to explain an elephant. One said, well, that's a trunk. It's a huge trunk that, that swings around. Another one said, no, it's this big... F-. I mean, they, they each have a different view. And I think mm-hmm. the same way a lot of times with the scriptures and the authors of the scriptures and even our our faith journey where we try to understand God better and, and grow closer to him is at different points in our life, we are working from a different perspective and trying to understand him. Mm-hmm. I think the one place that we all agree that that, kind of, that that takes place to a large extent is in the book of Revelation, when we all agree that... John was trying to the best of his ability to use words and descriptions to to explain what was going to take place in the last days. Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm literally looking for a seven-headed dragon to appear and ravage the earth. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, then. <laughs> until that happens, I'm, I'm not going to be – I'm not going to reject a mark of the beast until I see the beast. So how do you feel about the four horsemen, then? Are you looking for the four? four I'm, I'm looking for actual horses and All people right. on them. Which was your favorite horseman? War or pestilence? Uh, I, pestilence. I think I think he's pretty cool. I think that there are some places where we can we can use the scriptures to help us identify when something should be um, localized. For example, um, I, I pulled this one out just because I think it's interesting. Uh, we've we often have quoted. Um, I don't know if we often sometimes have quoted. Um, In the days of Peleg, was the earth divided? Excuse me. Often. Since we're talking about words, okay, I'm, I don't know. I don't <laughs> you know lost me. Yeah, I lost me too. Because you, you're not supposed to pronounce the T. Oh, often. You're not supposed to say often. No, that's that's incorrect. Huh, not that. I have to disagree. <laughs> it's often. It may be unrespectfully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, since we're talking about the the. the uh, 
people getting things wrong in the interpretation of man. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. All right. So in Genesis, you know, it's in Genesis 10, it talks about in the days of Peleg, Peleg was a mighty man and in his days was the earth divided. And we've sometimes used that to say this is when the continental drift occurred and that's when we got our continents. Before that, it was all one big continent. Named Pangaea. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing is if you go into to chapter 11, the very next chapter, it's only probably seven verses later from from that verse to for, to this. Um, it says, And the whole earth was of the same language and of the same speech. And it came to pass that many journeyed from the east. And as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain. Uh, and it goes into the story of Tower of Babel. So I would, I would argue that what was really talking about in the days of Peleg was the scattering of the languages. The people, the nations, were divided. Um, and I think it even goes down, um, oh, in verse 5 of 11, the Lord confounded the language uh, that they may not understand one another's speech, and so I, the Lord, will scatter them from abroad, scatter them abroad from thence, and upon all the face of the land and to every quarter of the earth. And they were confounded. So it, it kind of gives more clarification that in that case, all the earth, or the earth divided, wasn't the land, it was the people. I have a quick question. So it's speculated that when the Jaredites came over, they came over shortly after the, the after the Tower of Babel. And if I recall... Relatively speaking, yeah. yeah relatively, within, like, within, a, within a generation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if I recall the way the story goes, um, the brother of Jared prayed that God would, pre- would preserve their language. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that the Jaredites spoke the original language of whatever? whatever. Was before. Yeah, of God that, or, or I've, I've heard that postulated before. Hmm. That the Jaredites spoke the God's language. Or Which has God, now been lost or, to or, or, or God's language as it, as it Had possibly changed. evolved over the previous couple thousand years before mm-hmm. the flood. Mm-hmm. Or before, before, uh, the Jaredites. before the Jaredites. Yeah. I think that on the whole, these discussions of, I, I think that I've learned that I, I can't, I can't expect more of the Bible than what it purports to be. You know, I, I I take it for what it gives me, yet I don't try to defend it to others in a sense that uh, puts me on precarious ground. But that um, I u- I try to use those conversations to to first admit that I don't have all the answers, I don't know everything, and the, secondly that, that certainly, hopefully, all discussions will lead us back to something about. Jesus Christ and, and his ability to provide us that gift of eternal life. But, you know, that's not always possible. But it's, it's, I, th- I think it's a, an interesting conversation to have, and I, I think we need to be careful how we answer those people that come and, and, and want to know those answers of us as Christians. Be careful with our words. Because mm-hmm. I also think it's dangerous to just say, let's... That's what they say, and just have blind faith. Yeah, because I told you so. Because, I, because that's what it says. I, I, I think that that answer doesn't set with a lot of people, and it's not going to, it's not going to be a way to to bring a lot of people to the Lord. But wouldn't wouldn't there are there are many who would say, who cares if they're not willing to accept? If they're not willing to accept, they've chosen essentially the, the other path. We should accept blind faith. We should whatever the Bible says. That's what it means. Well, like having faith as a little child. I yeah. mean, how does that factor into it? Uh, well, and that's true. I mean, once you begin to build trust in people, you can begin to trust them without uh, I, explicit. I, I think there there comes a point where you have enough evidences that 
you can plug in blind faith where you possibly need it. Where I feel like there's enough things in my in my understandings and my beliefs that versus the Book of Mormon, where I might not be able to answer every question that somebody brings. And so there are there are, there are holes that I plug with blind faith, but there are but there's a, just because there's enough critical mass of things that I I can I can really lay my hands on. And I think it's the same way with with any scripture as we say. All right, I can't. I don't know whether or not the whole entire earth that we would call the earth from as seen from space was covered with water. I don't know. Um, it's, it's possible. It's possible it was. It's possible it wasn't. Um, I don't know the answer. It's possible that um, if, if like when John was talking earlier about the size of a cubit, if it was the size of a man's cubit, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you could even stack sleeping animals that were of a juvenile age with all the all the animals of the world in a size that small. Even, I mean, if I mean, I've heard people say that um, that all the animals were put in a deep sleep, and so there wasn't. They didn't have to eat. They were there all. I mean, where did that come from? I've heard that. I've heard people so say cool. that before. I've heard people. <laughs> I've heard people say that or postulate that. And so, if, I mean, everything was put in a deep sleep, so they weren't moving around. Didn't have to eat. They were all hibernating, basically. Um, I mean, could well, you? Could you on that line of thought, I heard that they actually swam outside in life rafts. <laughs> That's fun. You yeah. Know, in buoys. You, I mean, you could you can come up with whatever story you want. I mean, At that huh? point, yeah. 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 Once once you're yeah once you're extrapolating in order to support your position. And, and so I don't I don't know how it happened. I don't know what happened. If somebody if it's so important to some person that it had to happen ex- exactly how um, we read it in the scriptures at this point. That's fine. I mean, as far as that story goes, I mean, that's that 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 question to me is not critical to my faith in the gospel. But as ambassadors of Christ, I think it's important that we allow the world to know that we believe that God is bigger than our questions. So to say, I just just because I told you, sir, you just have to accept it is to say that God is not capable of providing these answers, which I don't think is the case. And that's what I mean by picking our words carefully to to not inhibit people from asking questions. But that doesn't mean that David has to have all the answers or Jeff has all the answers because we have Aaron, so we can send them to Aaron. Right, because obviously I have all the answers. Right. At Aaron at Zinebound.com. <laughs> right. If I can find your emails through all the spam, goodness <laughs> sakes. I don't get a whole lot of spam at our design bound. Uh, hey, here's an interesting point. This may we can close it up if we want. But no, 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 we're keeping this going. <laughs> for the same people that that say that the flood must be taken literally, right? And it goes back to so if the flood's literal and and all the animals had to have been on that boat, except for the sea creatures, except for the sea creatures, um, they get into this impossible situation where all the animals of the world fit on one boat because these same people will never admit that there could have been any kind of evolution within a family of animals you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that they 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 stand diametrically opposed to themselves on this issue for the feasibility of this story to have well, occurred i think well i'm not sure they would debate that like for instance if we take a mountain lion there are florida panthers there are mountain lions that all can reproduce within themselves they're all the same species and so i think that's where they might i mean there's certainly i mean there was they would they would say a mountain lion and a pan and a lion and uh, cheetah were all on the boat. Well, that's, some... that's very different than okay. Well, was a was a was what we call a Florida panther and a mountain lion. Right. Or were they were in the boat, or was there one cat that was like that? Here, that... Here's some trivia. There's five different names for the same animal. Well, cougar, there's, mountain there's, lion, cougar, mountain lion, puma, panther. Uh, panther. What's the last one? Wildcat. Is it wildcat? No. I know. Uh, I don't think uh, something else. Well, 
but but, but, but jaguar. Jaguar. Well, but there's there's a black. I mean, there's there's black jaguars like in South America that when I think of jaguar, I think of something very different than a mountain lion. And I'm not pretending to speak for the grand majority of people, but there are a cross section that when you throw out the e word, I mean, they 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 lock up. I mean, they close up. That there could have been any kind of shift in in characteristics, attributes, or changes within even a family of species. I I don't know the scientific terms, but so to you know these people, they're. The academics in the world it drives them crazy to even think that these people are, are associated with us as Christians. You know, I mean, they, they begin to, to view all Christians as, as these people, and that's that's we, quite difficult for them. That, I mean, that that's a whole discussion that is. I mean, we could we could, we could yeah. talk about just the e word evolution. <laughs> <laughs> did, but you have to ask the question: Did God create giants and humans and pygmies, or did giants and pygmies and humans all come from the same family set? Right. Well, they're, they're very, I mean, you just take dogs. Yeah. We, I mean, we, I mean, just human history. We know that s- some dogs were bred to be. Right. I mean, chihuahuas and a. I mean, oddly enough, a wolf can reproduce. Well, I mean, that, 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 I mean, probably the wolf will eat the chihuahua first. But <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, physiologically, yeah. they re- they can reproduce. They are the same species, mm-hmm. but yet somewhere along the lines, they were okay. There was a scrawny wolf that. Reproduce another scrawny wolf. Well, well, David and I just had, not the two of us, but we were involved in a discussion not too long ago where it talked about there were no such things as dachshunds, you know, a hundred years ago or Mm -hmm. several hundred years ago that they were, they were bred and eventually turned into dachshunds. You know, we, we don't like to think of lions and tigers as the same family set, but they can reproduce. Ligers. Ligers. Thank you, Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, there is actually a live liger. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, I mean, that, that throws in a whole other set of discussions. About. And see, I, we can't even pretend in some cases to understand their argument because I'm not really well versed in why they believe. Yeah, there's such a diversity of opinions there to, to try and on this podcast. We can't necessarily speak for every single person's point of view. And mm-hmm. that, that makes it difficult to. Right. To do justice to what some people have have honestly tried to put in a lot of effort and research into to develop their ideas, whether we agree with them or not. So, I mean, you know, we we do the best with what we have learned and heard other people talk about. One point of reference: the square footage of the ark was. I heard one reference at putting it at about a hundred thousand square feet, mm-hmm. which is smaller than some of our cruise liners today. So, if you kind of visualize a cruise liner, which is bigger than the ark, you know, how many animals could you get on there? Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, it's a lot, certainly, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have. I mean, elephants are clean, so that's seven elephants. That's, true. <laughs> that's right. Hey, and I have to ask: wait, wait. Our, Do they chew the cud? I, I don't know, but I, I heard somebody say they were. I, I, okay. I'm pretty sure that they're clean from uh, everything yeah. I've heard. And I have to ask our local engineer about tolerance limits. Don't you find it amazing that somehow on his first try, Noah built an ark that could hold that many animals without there being any mishaps? I'm, Nephi I'm built a ship. First try that went across the ocean. That's true, but the nice thing about the ark is it didn't really have to steer. That's true. I mean, it was. I mean, all I had to do was just stay afloat. Mm-hmm. But, but but just the have thinking. Well, I need to put these beams in place to support these weight limits. Well, he had 400 years or so, right, to get it right. Well, there's nothing that says that we didn't have some collapsed floors or broken beams. But, but you think you're right. Maybe once in those hundred years, God looked at it and said. I don't know. Mm, about let's do that a retry one. on it's, that. But let's let's try this a little bit. That's an engineering marvel. Ooh, they, did, they didn't treat the wood, wood back then, did they? 
I don't know. That's impressive. It's an engineering marvel. There's no doubt. It is. It is. Well, I mean, any ancient ship. I mean, on some level, That's it's true. somewhat. <laughs> By our estimation today, every ancient ship is a marvel. Any ancient marvel. construction. Yeah. The Tower of Babel. Yeah. That's a that's a marvel. So hopefully this discussion um, has has helped you think a little bit and uh, hopefully brought brought you closer to our Lord uh, by helping you uh, understand others maybe. And so until we are together at last in Zion, literally, as remains, I am done. <laughs>